Morning, KCL, and welcome to Thank the Maker. Uh, this is King's College London's only premier creativity talk show. Uh, we are coming to you live from the top of Bush House Southeast in the heart of London. And for those that don't know, uh, this is actually uh, the former headquarters of the BBC World Service. And uh, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure we're in the studio that they used to broadcast from, which is pretty neat. Anyways, uh, this is Thank the Maker. Um, and on the show each week, we bring on creatives from in and around Kings and uh, London, and, and we talk about their projects, about creativity in general, and uh, yeah, really about anything else we want to talk about. Um, I'm your host, Clay Ballard. I am a postgrad student here at King's College London studying global media industries. And today, uh, we have a very special guest. We have our guest, Andrina Fagelli. Um, she is also a postgrad student here at King's studying the same thing as I global media industries. Um, and Andrina has worked for the past several years as a writer. Uh, she's written everything from articles to books. Um, she's had articles published on Thought Catalog. And, and she's also worked a bit in PR and, uh, most interestingly to me, as a ghost writer. Um, so please do join us over the next hour as we explore the culture of creativity and creativity at large here on this show. Uh, we, we hope you uh, listen in. Thanks so much. Andrina, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. It is Tuesday. We normally go and broadcast on Monday, but it is Tuesday morning, and so we're a little bit further into this week. How has this week been treating you? Um, fine, I guess. I'm a little tired, but yeah. it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you, how many lectures? I'm going into the nitty gritty here because we are on the same exact postgrad program. But how many lectures did you have yesterday? Three back to back. They all got moved. They all of them. Yeah. <laughs> really? Wow. Literally all of them got moved because we all had guest speakers. So yeah. it was six hours of listening to very interesting people. Goodness, speaker. that is a long day, mm. and especially when they're all two hours. Yeah. Cheese, yep. Louise. Well, let's move on to the uh, the meat of this. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How would you? I'm asking you to introduce yourself here. Um, but how would you introduce yourself? Say, if you were talking to somebody about your creative projects. God, um, big question. I <laughs> I'd say I'm a writer. Um, I have been for like literally my entire life. Right. And yeah, I'm a postgrad student who's also a writer. Uh, Got to make cash somehow, and yeah. also just for my own sake. And I always was. I've always been writing, and then eventually I was able to turn into a little bit of a career, so doing that on the side is good for my Great. soul. Great. <laughs> yeah, and so are you, doing, are you doing both the post-grad thing and the writing thing side by side? Yeah. Wow. So how does that work out scheduling-wise? Does it work well? It does. Um, I suffer a bit of insomnia, so at least yeah. like at night I tend to write the best kind of when the rest of the world is sleeping. Yeah. And it is a good, since I do more creative things, it's actually a really good balance to school. Because it's just, obviously, that's a lot more the academic side. Right. And then my own writing is more from, yeah, what I'm thinking, feeling, and articles that are just, like, interest me. Fantastic. So um, before we go uh, deep into your writing and what you've been working on, what um, what brought you to London, first and foremost? What brought you to King's? I've always loved London. Um, I went to boarding school in England, actually. Fell really? in love with the culture. And when my visa in the States ran out, I yeah. had to move somewhere, and I figured... Why not go to this country I love? Yeah. So did you do uh, undergrad in the States then? Yeah, I went to NYU. 
Awesome. Great school. And where where are you originally from, for listeners? I know all this, by the way. <laughs> I'm just trying to give some context. <laughs> um, I'm from Switzerland, hence my difficult last name. <laughs> yep. I attempted it. Hope you did I, pretty well, actually. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's great to hear. So, okay. You're at King's. Yep. You're studying global media industries. What did you do in undergrad, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, God. Um... Global. My major was global liberal studies with a concentration in contemporary culture and creative production and a minor in new romance languages, French and Spanish. Okay. Very American. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, let's say you're, you know, at a networking event and oh you're trying to explain what you studied. What do you what do you say? Uh, issue of my life. Um, creativity <laughs> and communications with a focus on branding. Lovely. That's a really nice spin. That's that's really great. I, I have a similar problem with my undergraduate degree where it's all like, it's super liberal artsy. It's like. What did you do again? So I, I studied um, peace, war, and defense. I double majored peace, war, and defense and global studies. Just like global studies. What does that mean? Yeah, same. And um, everyone's like, how do you do yeah. that? <laughs> and then I minored in public policy. So normally what I like button down in, in, into is just I say I studied IR, even though my school didn't have an IR program. I kind of constructed it myself. <laughs> You're learning how to rule the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a funny story. A little bit of a, a diversion. But um, so I taught in Malaysia for a year, um, about two years ago before I came to King's. And um, the school that I was paired with, I didn't get to choose, got my profile. And they saw that I studied peace, war, and defense. And um, I like used to, I had a strong interest in like terrorism studies. And these poor people were like, we have a CIA agent coming <laughs> to teach our students. Like, oh America God. is sending an implant. And they didn't tell me this till like, halfway through the year. And I was like, no, 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 no. It was, like, from an academic perspective. And, like, it's, I'm more interested in, like, just global relations in general. But, yeah. <laughs> We're being surveyed by the government over there. Right. Well, that's what they thought. Yeah. I think it scared the, the shit out of them. But, um, it's good. It gives you some authority. Yeah. No, with the kids especially. Yeah. Yeah, you probably got, like, cool factor by it. <laughs> they were like, wow, we have a spy as a teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so let's go back to you as a writer. What, um, let's, let's start with any projects you're working on right now. Are you, are you working on anything right now? It's okay if you're not. Yeah, I mean, I do my writing for Thought Catalog. Yeah. Um, since I'm a regular contributor there. So I do that and I'm always writing short stories and see kind of where those go and sometimes turn into books and sometimes not. Amazing. <laughs> Is there, so when you say short stories, are those fiction? Are, are they nonfiction? What, what? Uh, they're usually fiction. Yeah. Cool. For the most part. I've tried nonfiction, and it's just not quite my genre. <laughs> right. Well, I guess what I was going to pose is for your thought catalog articles, what are you generally writing about there? Because I assume it wouldn't be, like, short stories. Well, thought catalog is, like, a digital youth magazine. Okay. Um, so it, it depends a bit. It, they are kind of more, like, personal pieces, even though I take a lot of creative liberties, which a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you put all your life out there. I'm like, no, yeah. it's not quite like that. <laughs> but, um... Also, just like sometimes listicles, like I just wrote one, <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but I just wrote one about 10 brutally honest reasons people cheat, so that kind of thing, yeah. or versus also um, just more of like personal exposure pieces. So Interesting. Depends a bit. I have a lot of creative freedom there, which is nice. Right. And and when you're coming up with ideas for, for like articles like that, are you drawing mostly from personal experience? Are you uh, just kind of writing and like filling a market gap? Like <laughs> what... Bit of everything. Sometimes yeah. it also has to do with like conversations I recently had with people or friends. Sort of like if I know that like happens to be a lot of my friends are going through heartbreak. I'm like, oh, maybe I should write. It's kind of the season for that. Mm -hmm. um, write an article about that. The cheating was inspired because I recently, for some reason, had a lot of conversations with people about cheating, mm. and I learned some interesting facts and things. So I kind of wrote about that. Another diversion because I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't want to follow this road. What have you learned about cheating? Apparently, I mean, like I guess that's kind of always, but like. Apparently, like, the biggest reasons for it are never really about your partner. Fascinating. They're really about more you. There is a fantastic podcast that I'm going to recommend um, called Where Should We Begin? And it is with this woman named Esther Perel. And uh, she basically, the, basically, the whole premise of the show is live couples counseling. Oh, my God, I'm into it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's what I recommend to people. 
That's when so people great. are looking for podcasts, it's incredible. And like, I'm not even, I don't, I don't care that much about relationship dynamics, but it is like, it is the most voyeuristic feeling sitting in that I'm room. So into it. It's great. Anyways, the reason I bring <laughs> it up is, is they bring that up all the time, especially when you have infidelity and, and these relationships that are being talked about. It's never about the partner. It's always about some outward yeah. want or unmet need or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, validation and loneliness and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, anyways, interesting <laughs> uh, interesting little diversion we went on there. But yes, uh, Where Should We Begin? Esther Perel, strongly recommend. I'm so going to listen to that. Yes, please do. Um, now, for your short stories, are you putting those out there? Are those mostly for you? Is that more of a writing exercise? Uh, tell us more there. Uh, it's a bit everything. I sometimes submit them to competitions. Okay. Um, and yeah, there are for me, I just like really enjoy writing. It's kind of like I don't have a journal. So yeah. stories are sort of how I go through my day, even if they have like nothing to do with my daily thing. It's like the emotions. I'll write something sad or if I'm sad or, you know, anger or whatever. Um, so it is a bit for me, but I also, yeah, submit them to competitions and, my editor, um, I always kind of talk to her if something has like potential to turn into something bigger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting. So how did you? I know you've been you've said you've been writing your entire life, yeah. but how did you get into kind of the the working side of it? Because I feel like that's mm-hmm. a place that a lot of people have a hard time with. Is you know they might put their put the label of writer on themselves and and do a lot of writing, um, but they have a hard time actually getting paid for doing mm-hmm. something like this so like what what is your story what how did you uh get into this how did i get into it oh yeah actually so well, i started with my first book which i wrote when i was 14 um wow. yeah okay i was, I was very bored <laughs> you were very bored <laughs> no sort of <laughs> what what was that what do you write about as a 14 year old it was a fantasy novel that one was okay. actually came um you know it was at the time where twilight was a big and all that yeah yeah and i'd always kind of like vampires but i was on the firm believer side that vampires should be I was going to write a story where they're the bad guys again and then this whole world it's a fantasy novel that plays in different world and that just kind of came out of it and yeah it just kind of snowballed from there but it was like even when i was little i remember i was like seven or eight and i told my mom i was like i'm gonna write a book one day and like every mom she was like oh of course sweetie you are and then at 14 i was like mom here's my book what do i do about this and they're like oh okay wow um but it was actually my mom had met an editor at an event and i was at the time applying for boarding schools and stuff Mm so and i had read essays and my mom was like oh like my daughter was writing these essays right now and she's like oh you know you can send one through at some point if i mean she's like you're really good i really enjoy it do you have anything you're right and i was like actually fun fact i did just finish a manuscript and she was like okay well let's have a read and kind of work from there what okay was that your novel you wrote when you were 14 yeah wow so you were able to like get that published for real yeah it's out there <laughs> incredible wow so when did you i'm just curious when did you see your first did you see any money from that like as a I think it's going into some accounts somewhere okay. we didn't like hugely promote it because like the lost what's in with like as child work, so to speak, if right. you promote it. Yeah. Um, and I really just more put it out there for me. But yeah, it's going into an account somewhere. If you buy on Amazon, I make a little bit of money, so it's nice. Incredible. And you, you mentioned your editor earlier. Is that the same person that you just mentioned then? or We've moved on. Okay, you've moved on. <laughs> yes. You, you, the, your young editor. Yes. Okay, I see. So what what kind of followed after that? Did you Were you just like, I can, I can do this. I can write and sell I still don't know if I can write and sell. It seems to be working, but um, no, it was just kind of, I just kind of kept writing, and then eventually came my second, I was busy with school and stuff, and then eventually came my second book, and after that, I was like, well, books, that's kind of a lot of time effort, and um, I was like always writing my school papers and stuff like that, and I just eventually started submitting to sites online, and I just kind of... With Thought Catalog as well, I pestered them, and I just sent them articles and articles, and I was like, please take me, please take me, and eventually they're like, okay, you're really annoying, sure. Yeah. Um, you can talk to an editor, and now I work for them for the past two years, three years. Wow. That's that's super interesting. <laughs> just be persistent, yeah. guys. <laughs> be I know persistent. everyone. It's going to work off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, let's... Are, do most of your novels, are they stuff that you... How do I phrase this question? you feel like you need to write? Like, do you have an idea and you're like, I'm going to write this down? Or do you sit with a blank page and, like, kind of the book comes before the content where you're like, I need to write a book. What am I going to write? Does that make sense? 
I think so. Yeah, um, <laughs> go ahead. Take it whichever way. I'm going to see how this goes. Um, kind of... Hmm, I don't even know. It's I usually have, with most of my stories and the books as well, I have, like, an idea of where I want to start just mm-hmm. because I find it a good, like, intro in some ways. And I know exactly where it ends. Okay. That's always the two things I start with, which drives my editors crazy because they're like, we need an outline. I'm right. like, no, no, it's fine. We'll see what happens. Um, So it kind of, yeah, it works with that. And then I... It's usually that, I mean, I have on my phone, like, a whole list on my notes of, like, phrases that I like, just things that come to me every day, and then usually I build stories and my books as well around those. I'm like, oh, this seems to be all, like, kind of in this mood of this kind of character, and then I kind of work it in from there. Yeah, that seems, so I've I've spoken to a couple writers on the show, and that seems to be a really common tool, is uh, when you're out and about recording and writing down yeah, totally. whether they're random thoughts that pop into your head or random like things you overhear from other people yeah I do that too. and that that just forms like the basis of a story for you or it starts to yeah wow i think it just comes from like not even just inspiration can strike everywhere but more just i do think you need to live a life to be able to write sometimes yeah. and i think that's just kind of where it comes from and the you never know what tidbit might end up in a story or be like the line that everyone's into in the right. end or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I've shared this on the show before, but I always think about it when I talk to writers about this. Um, I do improv, um, just a quick pub. I have a show coming up next Wednesday on the 27th, details to be confirmed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do a similar thing. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just interesting, the crossover between creative genres of like performing on stage and writing. Both seemingly very different things. Um, but improv, you're essentially riding on stage. And what I do before shows is I'll just go out and walk around or sit on a bench and just watch people. Because I want, I want to be reminded, like, what do just normal people do? What are, what are behaviors that are just out there that I could yeah. replicate on the stage and people will instantly recognize? Um, so it's, it's always interesting when I hear, like, similar processes um, among other art. Yeah, I feel like a lot of creatives and artists is just... It's people watching, it's recognizing, it's being an observer and yeah. being able to bring that through in your art to others that they recognize it. Like, I think that's same with music or movies, whatever. It's when you can see yourself in something is when you connect with it. Right. That's That was a beautiful definition. <laughs> Thanks. I do Lovely. it for a living. <laughs> <laughs> so I really, what I've been so excited to talk to you about uh, is <laughs> no, this whole <laughs> concept of ghostwriting. Yeah. Um, can you, for people that don't know, explain what ghostwriting is? Uh, ghostwriting is basically you write under someone else's name or for them. Uh, a lot of time that person might be dead for a long time or never even existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you basically write books and don't get credit for it. <laughs> the basic of it. It's so interesting, though, to me. Um, so y- you've obviously had books. Maybe I'm wrong here, but you've had books published under your name. Mm-hmm. And you've also had books published under other people's names yep. is essentially what ghostwriting is. Yeah. Um, was it a similar process to get involved in that? I, I, are they in the same pocket of industry or are they the same companies that you're working with, the same editors? That actually, ghostwriting kind of had my accident. I was always really intrigued by it because a couple of years ago there was this teen series called The Click that I loved when mm-hmm. I was a girl. And then I found out that this, and this author was like, I was like, I want to be her. And then I found out this author isn't real, and it's all ghostwriting. Ugh. Broke my 14-year-old heart. <laughs> but um, I was suddenly like, ooh, this is an interesting career. Yeah. And then my teacher in college, one of my writing teachers, actually wrote for that series. And she was like, yeah, like you were very good at putting your voice to different things. Because whenever we did writing exercises, I kind of could try different genres, and it usually worked, which not every yeah. writer does. And then she was like, yeah, like do you want to get put in touch with my people? You can like audition for ghostwriting and so that's sort of how i slid into it okay so you you have to audition is that a thing i i I don't know if it applies to every project but you kind of do um they give you like the first couple outlines for the first chapter or whatever and you write it and so do a couple of other people like you have samples they have samples of you on file so they kind of can see what voice you can do and how you go into it and you kind of also put in a little description of like what you want like what kind of genre you're interested in writing mm-hmm. or what kind of age group. And then when someone chooses you for a project, they, yeah, they ask you to write the first chapter and see if, you know, you can put your voice to it and fit in with everyone else, what they've written for it. 
Um, so that's at least how I've gone through the processes. And then I've also had a couple of projects where they were just, they know my voice and that it works and then they instantly just approach me, which is really nice because it's really frustrating when you write a chapter and then it doesn't get used and you're like, great, that was a lot of work. Yeah, (laughs) right. Um, so typically, and and this is coming from someone that does not understand ghostwriting, um, is it, it's a team of people that work on a single book? Would that be true? Or? So, well, not the writing part. Um, you get, at least in my experience, I get um, the outline of the book in each chapter very clearly. You get like character arcs, like a lot more planning than I ever put into my book. Interesting. Yeah. And then you basically just put the words to it and you write it. And as opposed to your own books, you, the editor, like as soon as I submit the final copy, it's out of my hands unless there's big rewrites. Mm hmm. And then the editor is usually kind of a person, especially with the series, who's the same editor for everything. So there's some consistency I through see. it all, which is nice because, like, I do like editing, but it's also the most tedious of processes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice not to deal with that. Right. So uh, w- as you're speaking, I'm kind of drawing similarities. Recently in one of our classes uh, for Global Media Industries, we've been yeah. talking about this concept of, of formats. Yep. Um, and uh, for those that don't know, uh, you, you basically formats are these uh, TV shows that you'll find find in like cross um, across borders I'm doing a really <laughs> poor job of explaining it right now but <laughs> it's like right. who wants to be a millionaire right there's an English version there's an American version there's uh, probably a Bangladeshi version <laughs> there, there's one in like every territory but they're they are actually licensed ideas that are then given to local production groups so it, it strikes me as quite similar where you have you're not crossing borders necessarily. Maybe you are. Um, but you have, like, a central editor that's kind of taking this, these outlines, these arcs, yeah. giving them to um, authors in the same way that a producer would give the Bible of the TV show to a local showrunner. Yeah. Do you see similarities there? Yeah, no, it kind of is like that. And it's also there is, yeah, the general people who actually don't know who makes the decisions about where mm. the story goes. I think that depends a little bit on who owns the rights to the series or the book. But yeah, it is very much like that. Interesting. And from and like from a, an artistic integrity perspective, yeah. how do you? So obviously, ghostwriting pays the bills. <laughs> you're, it you're, really does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're getting paid. But how do you feel about it as an as an author, as an artist? Is it like a threat against you? Do, like, how do you feel about it? Generally speaking, I mean, I really enjoy. It's cool because. With this, you know, I walk into a bookstore and I see books I know I've written on mm-hmm. the shelf. And I'm like, haha, I know this. No one else does, but it's yeah. fine. Um, so it's definitely cool like that. I see it as an exercise for me. It doesn't infringe on me as a writer yeah. in my own right because I get to try voices that aren't necessarily my style and it doesn't fit with who I am as a writer. But it's right. a great exercise and I get to write stories that I never would in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's an issue. I'm sure there are writers who have issues with it. Right. But I also, like, I make a point of not working on projects where I'm literally writing for someone who's out there. It's either people who are dead or who don't actually exist. I see. Okay. Because I'm like, I don't know, I don't want, like, one specific person taking credit for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's just me personally. So you, you do make that decision to choose yeah. projects based on that kind of criteria. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd qualify to actually represent someone because obviously that takes a whole other level of getting to know that writer or person blah, blah blah but yeah that's the criteria i just take gotcha yeah really really interesting um and and it's it's fascinating to me how they do kind of we've already touched on this but give you that structure those arcs mm. they outline and then you kind of build um the i'm imagining a tree i don't know why <laughs> but you have the it's branches and you're putting the leaves on um, I don't think you realize how trees grow, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. We're decorating a Christmas tree or something. I don't there know. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> um, so uh, to kind of go back to your studies now um, mm. before we take a quick break, why um, – so we talked about why London and, and yeah. probably why Kings. Um, it's probably much the same, but why global media industries? Why this MA? I ask myself that every day. No, I'm joking. Me too. Uh, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> We're winging it here. Um, no, I mean, like, I'm obviously a part of the media industries as being a writer, and I wanted to just see it through a little bit of a different lens of basically more the background rather than being the creative. I mm-hmm. think it also just gives you more agency, at least as a writer, when I can be like, I know a bit what's happening and the forces at work, yeah. and I'm not just like a pawn in it, if that makes sense. No, totally. And... I mean, with my undergrad as well, I think in the world we live in, there's just so much 
you know, jobs are rarely clear cut these days and it's not like you go down one road all the time. And I think this kind of MA, especially with the global life I live, just really suited not being able, not narrowing it down. Yeah. You do live quite a global life. How many countries have you lived in total? Only three. Yeah. Okay. Do you see yourself going beyond the uk oh yeah uh, for sure yeah well, i get restless really easy sure where where would you go next because i guess that's a nice part about being a writer is it's you're not yeah. really grounded to a location um but yeah where where would be next for you i honestly don't know i i've always wanted to move to dubai okay. i've never been yeah. but i just kind of like that idea or somewhere in asia i travel a lot there and spend a lot of time in asia so i would love to live over there or honestly like anywhere really like i'm open to anything unless it's like a war zone or a conflict yeah. i'm into it yeah. um my mom might have a veto once in a while but other than that like i don't know i just i want to see it all you know yeah and do you draw inspiration i mean this is a gimmicky question but do you draw inspiration from like the places you've been in your work i feel like that would be a major yeah absolutely source. more even so the people i meet mm. because mm-hmm. you just see perspectives that I never even considered necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I think that even more than the people. Then again, I think people make a place. Yeah. Very, very good point. Yeah. What, um, what's been your favorite place that you've lived in or been to so far? Let's say been to because yeah, <laughs> that widens it a bit. Oh, God, I, people ask me that all the time. I really don't know. It depends. Cause like I was in Myanmar shortly after it opened, which was just super interesting to see, but I wouldn't say it was like, my favorite, but it was right. definitely one of the most I, interesting places. I, You've been, right? Yeah, I've been to Myanmar as well, and uh, it wasn't right when it opened, but it was in 2017, I want to say. But that's, it's not my favorite country, but I, I consistently yeah, you know list I mean? it as like, one of my favorite trips, just because it was, it's it's so far um, behind, and I don't mean this in like a bad way, but it, it's just not as developed as its neighboring countries. Yeah, it's not global and in the yeah, same way. It's, it's a different world. It's not yeah. as connected. They got their first fast food restaurant ever like a year ago. A year ago. <laughs> they get so excited. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they are over the moon. Um, I know I was. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. I tried to eat the local food. Tried. <laughs> Um, but it was a really, really interesting yeah. country to be in just because of, yeah, how cut off it was and just, yeah, it, 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 I, there is something to be said about like how globalization and the internet and, and like free entry and exit kind of changes the place over time yeah, to be sure. more, yeah, uh, universalized, so to speak. Yeah, like, I wonder if I went back now, because I went back, I was there, like, two years after it opened, so I'm sure it's, like, a different world by now. Yeah, I think, I really think it is, yeah. Um, Interesting, very interesting. Yeah, so it depends. But then, like, India, for example, is always going to be close to my heart, and I love going back there, so that's always one of my favorite trips. Amazing, amazing. Um, So we are going to take a quick break here. Um, So I asked you, as I ask all of my guests, to uh, (laughs) suggest a song for our (laughs) break. Um... You sent me one. Uh, would you mind introducing it? Oh, God. I forgot which one I sent you. Trippin'. Trippin', yeah. Becoming Young. I will admit I asked a friend for a recommendation because I get told repeatedly that I have terrible taste in music. But I found this song like, a couple of days ago and I've been like obsessed. It's my morning song. It's nice. a good vibe. <laughs> Great. Well, let's give it a listen and we will be right back. about 
Welcome back. This is Thank the Maker. We've got our guest, Andrina Fagelli. Yeah. Is that, is that good? Fagelli, yeah, that's uh, actually impressive. Fagelli. Yeah, there okay. you go. All right, getting better German every skills. day. <laughs> <laughs> really not my best. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, we were just listening to Trippin' by Becoming Young. Morning song. Morning song. You gotta have one. Um, I'm trying to think what mine is. I really like, this is more of like my wind down song, but um, this must be the place by Talking Heads. Ooh, I do like that song. But that's an e- I feel like that's an evening song. Yeah, yeah. It always gets me, like, nostalgic. And What's the story behind it? No, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I, I used to listen to it when I was abroad, mm. and it's like, you know, it's got themes of, like, being home and, like... Yeah, I get that. I don't know. It's great. <laughs> It makes me all scinty, as I would say. Oh, God. <laughs> well, it's not. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. um, you're a writer. Yeah. Obviously, we've been talking about it for the last half hour. <laughs> for anyone who wasn't listening. For, for anyone that wasn't listening. What's next? Do you see yourself after this degree? <laughs> after graduating. Yeah, what comes next for you? Yes, I will let you know if I figure it out. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, so let's go to the, um, for those that aren't aware, King's <laughs> career has three <laughs> categories. Uh, the first is discover, the second is focus, and the third is action. Which category would you put yourself in? As a, a career finder right oh, now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I actually went to career talk a couple of days ago. Um, discover. I think I'm always in the discover. Yeah, phase. right? Okay. I, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here because I, I do so. take issue with <laughs> the way King's Careers frames this. These are not singular categories. Not at all. They are. You are across them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, for people that don't know, it's 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 it's. Uh, divvied up into discover, focus, and action. I think discover being like you don't really know what you want to do, so you got to explore multiple opportunities. Focus being like okay, honing in on which opportunities are of interest, and then action being like taking action on specific opportunities. Um, King's careers, hire me, please. <laughs> yeah, you read the catalog well. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything in front of me right now. Um, I it's, I take issue with it. It's so, it, you. Anyone is going to be between those categories or in all categories at once. Like, I I personally think I am in the action stage if I wanted to go into 
like nonprofit world, like I can apply for that right now. But I'm also in the discover phase in terms of creative careers. I'm in the focus yeah, and uh, phase in terms of like communications careers. It, it's I'm all over the place. I would and I'm going to all different events because of it. But yeah, you do everything as I've told you many, many <laughs> times. But no, I I completely agree with you. It is. You know, you're always, in, and I think you always are in different stages because yeah. suddenly you see things you didn't know were out there, or like, yeah, like you kind of figure it out and you try. I think, especially nowadays, like everyone kind of plans multiple career paths and then kind of see yeah. what happens. Yeah. So I do think they should be a little more, yeah, mishmashed. But also, they feel very like, I don't know, like everything is like by getting a short career, but like, like all the talks I've gone to, it's very much like, figure out what you want, your values, like, blah, blah. And I mean, that's important, but I do think it's so focused on, like, making a career. Also, people could, could, could keep studying. Like, yeah. They yeah. never talk about that either. I I agree. It, I mean, it's a difficult world, and yeah. it's, it's a changing world, too, in terms of careers, both for, you know, um, larger kind of, like, the grad schemes and things and for the, the more informal, to use a word from our <laughs> studies, uh, creative careers. Yeah. Um, I went to a career stock the other day for people in the creative industries, um, and the thing they kept harping on was, we are trying to change as an industry. We are yeah, trying so to true. get rid of this, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, you know, you have to know someone to get in. Yeah, um, nepotism and networking. Really the part of global world yeah. is like knowing people. I mean, like, you know, it used to be like six degrees of separation between you and anyone now. It's, I think, like four and a half or something. Yeah, yeah. And that is only because of networking and knowing people. So, like, it's just at the heart of being interconnected. Yeah. How, I mean, is there a lot of networking within your writing world, would you say? Maybe. Is it I mean, required? Like, edit? I'm sure it is. Uh, maybe that's why I'm not, like, <laughs> JK Rowling yet, but... I think, I mean, that's where at least my traveling and moving around kind of gets a bit in the way. Sure, I know people all over, but I also don't always have the chance to deepen connections just because I'm kind of like, this was real, but bye. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's a bit of, like, it's both. Like, I get to meet a lot of people, but you don't get to, like, follow up as much. Yeah, I I feel very similarly, um, especially on the whole, like, yeah, moving around and ne never developing deeper things. And and. I don't know. I take issue again. I've taken a lot of issues today, <laughs> but I take issue with the it's whole okay, concept of of networking. Like to me, it is, and this is just another probably you know gimmick word. <laughs> connecting. It's it's making relationships, yeah. not necessarily about work. You yeah, know, it, sure. one of my one of the things I always try to like remind myself of is you don't have to network with. I mean, it's good to, but you don't have to with people that are already in the industry. Sometimes peer networking can be just as valuable, making sure. friends among your cohort, among your what you're currently studying, because who knows where they're going to be in three years. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, we're the future. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and at the end of the day, well, you don't consider, uh, you know, going to get lunch with one of your friends in your course to be networking. That's just connecting with someone. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, it serves the exact same purpose. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm here because we decided to grab coffee that first day yeah, of school. Like, yeah. it's, it just kind of happened. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah, I, I take issue with this whole that networking and, like, kind of categorizing networking and friendships and relationships into separate thing. Like, there's, it's all one and the same. I think me. people don't want to see friendships as business necessarily. That's probably what it is. It makes them feel better at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they can all sleep at night. Anyways, <laughs> um, so here's the big question that I pop on everyone on this okay. show. Do you see yourself as a creative person? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Wow. So uh, it's a lot of people that I have on the show that I would consider creative oftentimes get really defensive. Like, ah, I don't really think I am. Or like, no, I wouldn't claim that. You do. That's totally fine. I consider <laughs> myself creative as well. Um how would you define creativity and how you kind of fit in that? Mm, defining it. I don't know if you necessarily can. I think tap it, creativity is a lot of tapping into your sensibilities, your emotions, and bringing that out into the world in a format, <laughs> to go back to that, whether it is you know music or painting or writing in my case. Right. So I think that's kind of what creativity at least to me is, and I'm definitely a very like emotional and sensitive person person in a lot of ways and that's kind of why I started writing as well when I was little because it was like an outlet for me mm -hmm. so I think I fit my own definition of it very well interesting yeah 
do you are you in the camp that you think everyone is creative um i think or do you think some people are not creative some people are creative i think people have the potential but they might not be in touch with it like i've like some very you know like rational and logistical people who just like would never let themselves like I think it takes a certain loss of control to be creative, whether it's of your emotions or of what you're putting out there. Like, you can't censor yourself the entire time. Yeah. And I think there's some people who would really struggle with that. Mm -hmm. But I think in in them, in some ways, there is some level of creativity. Yeah. Hmm. Really interesting. And, and yeah, I I think there's all these – I'm in a class, and the reason I started this (laughs) podcast is called – there's this class called Contextualizing Creativity that I'm in. And we talk about these things, these definitions, whether it's a broad – thing that everybody has or something that like a select few have and i think the research has really concluded that um this idea of like the artistic genius is total bullshit yeah um it's not true at all it is like you say kind of just a capacity that people need to unlock within themselves yeah Um, for sure yeah so that being said um let's talk a little bit about art okay yeah another (laughs) deep uh, subject. We're covering a lot for a Tuesday morning. Yeah, we are. We're, we're like just skipping around. Criticizing kings, artists, <laughs> liberties, networking. Um, do you consider yourself artistic? Is that the same as creative? Um, I don't know. I think I wouldn't say I'm good at it, but I think so in some ways. Like, even I had a struggle with, you know, for me, artistic. I was always, like, thinking of paintings or yeah, painters. Yeah. And I am, I cannot even draw a straight line, so that's not my vibe. But I do think I have an artistic sensibility, if you want to put it like that. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think it's not mutually exclusive with creativity ever, but I also don't think they're hand-in-hand hand all the time. Interesting. What do, you, what do you think the difference is between the two? I think artistic is more the way you express it, maybe, or... Creativity is, like, the source of it, and artistic is almost, like, the outside world. Yeah. Like, I think artisticness has something to do with how, like, the audience or the reception of it, sort mm-hmm. of. Not mm-hmm. necessarily whether it's good or bad, but just putting it out there. Well, creativity is almost like an emotion to me. Interesting. Yeah. An emotion. Do you... you mention, you've mentioned emotions a couple times throughout yeah. this interview. Do you see that as integral to your work? Do you see that as integral oh, sure. to creative work at large yeah actually it was interesting because with writing actually someone the other day told me i don't know if it's a quote from somewhere or something but it was like was it not all writers are sad but all sad people write Mm -hmm. and i think there is like huge truth to that at least especially in writing i do think i mean you think about even just journaling is literally based on your emotions and that's a hugely artistic or creative output so i think like it is to writing in most of my experiences. Journalism aside, obviously, if you're just reporting on, like, a war crisis, I don't know how emotional that is. Then you yeah. kind of have to keep the emotions out of it. But in the kind of creative writing I do, for sure, I think it is a huge integral part to it. Interesting. Um, I went to a talk earlier this year from a film director, and one thing he mentioned, he was a writer-director, mm-hmm. is that his best work is made when he is not happy. Yes, do that's you, so true. Do you agree? See, I, like... I think that notion is romantic and like, and probably true, but it, it, to me it seems problematic that you have to be in these mental states to be able to create something good. Do you think it's possible to kind of create something? Let's say you're not emotional. Let's say your head mm-hmm. is screwed on as tight as it possibly can <laughs> be one day. You sit down with a blank page. Do you, do you, and this is fine to answer it however you want, mm-hmm. but do you legitimately believe that your work would be better on a day? Where you were deep in your emotions and sad and, and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, for my ghostwriting, no, because that is a lot more okay. mechanical about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do tend to go back and refine certain scenes when I'm in a different emotional state. But that, for example, is very much just, it doesn't really matter what kind of mental mindset I'm in. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's even better if I have a bit more balance that day. But other than that, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, like how they say, like, people with mental illnesses, like depression and stuff, tend to be more creative, mm-hmm. like, by, like, four times or something like that. So I do think there is definitely something to being in a dark place and writing. I mean, there's a reason so many writers are alcoholics. It's not right. that they're happy. Right. And I do think there's definitely something about being in touch with that part of yourself. Do you, do you think the the premise, though, is problematic the, and, like, kind of exclusive in a way? Like... 
because like ideally right our society mm-hmm. is going to get to a place where people are emotionally stable people don't suffer from <laughs> yeah well let's let's just let's 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 think about it um where people don't suffer from mental illnesses yeah are are you saying and again just challenging you here mm-hmm. that our, that society would be less creative no because just you can have like everyone has good or bad days even if you're mm-hmm. balanced mm-hmm. you know like let's say you go through a breakup even that can be enough to spur a huge burst of creativity i don't think it needs to be like you're in a really really dark yeah. place for it i think just like everyday emotions like i've definitely written some things that are seem on paper like I was going through really rough things and ultimately mm-hmm. it was just like I was stressed with school or something. Yeah. Like it's not even... Yeah. I, I think that's where creativity comes in, tapping into an emotion and making it something else or bigger or smaller, whichever it is. Yeah. So no, I don't think that a balanced society would lack creativity. I think maybe not everyone, people might like feel like less than need to out, put it out there. But generally, I think, you know, we're we're artistic creatures in some way we all appreciate art whether it's a song or this or that Mm -hmm. and i think people will always be able to tap into that yeah because things happen in life you know people die people break up and the world is a dark place sometimes so like (laughs) yeah and i do want to put it out there too i i certainly think that i i do agree with you to an extent i just i find the notion to be troubling that someone has to go through these emotional states obviously like we are a lot of art is expression. Yeah. It's communicating something. And typically you do want to communicate something specific. And mm-hmm. contentness isn't like <laughs> a very specific emotion or something that's, you know, everybody is connecting with. Because yeah. not everybody's content. Um, but I do think it can go in the opposite direction. I think you can be extremely joyful and something can come out of that creatively. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Creatively, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I do agree. I just, I wonder if there's. But I also feel like. That looking at it that way I like I see it as that at least if I'm let's say in a really bad place writing something is turning that darkness into something good right. so like I think you're looking at it as like a negative thing but yeah. I think that's such a that then it's problematic but I don't think it's like the basis of it in that way yeah yeah no I I'm I agree. I just struggle with my agreeance. <laughs> I love how like you're trying to have this perfect world. I'm just, I, people like you are what's going to make this world better one day. No, don't say that. Um, but it, I, yeah, I, I I I agree. And and I used to always talk about my improv rehearsals. I still do talk about it, um, mm-hmm. kind of in this way. But it's my weekly uh, therapy. Yeah, for sure. Um, and as someone that used to go to therapy, like it, it, it's honestly usually better than just sitting down <laughs> with someone and talking through my issues. Yeah, I get to go on stage and pretend I'm a dinosaur for an hour, and <laughs> that can that releases something. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, like I'm a big proponent of. I think everyone can benefit from therapy, no matter yeah. how happy no, they yeah, yeah, are. Yeah, everyone can. But this is like the cheaper version of it. <laughs> <laughs> like there needs to be said. Not necessarily. Uh, that is a whole nother rant. You know what? I'm gonna go on that rant (laughs) improv uh getting into it is it's such a pay-to-play system you've got to pay to take classes you've got to pay to even perform sometimes it's bullshit absolute bullshit um take advantage of college societies like i am um take advantage (laughs) (laughs) take advantage of of auditions don't end up in an endless stream of classes that improv uh, troops and theaters will sell to you. That's the end of my pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Not my world, but I'm going to, if I ever meet another improv person, make sure they know that. <laughs> See, that's the thing. As a writer, I need, sure, classes help, but like I need a pen or a laptop right. and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. classes, of course. But No, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is an interesting concept. And we were talking about, I was talking about this yesterday with somebody about like entrepreneurism in general. Mm-hmm. There's so many motivational things you can watch or YouTube series. Oh my God, it's almost too much. There's sometimes. classes and departments of entrepreneurship. Yeah, but the entrepreneurs—they're not going to be in these classes. They're going to be out. So true. <laughs> entrepreneuring, like yeah. what the what is the point of going into it? Yeah, you got to do this stuff. Anyways, whole <laughs> other discussion. Issue. Yeah. Um, here's a hardball question. <laughs> like these were fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's hit me. Like. What, what are the boundaries of art? I had a conversation. Mm-hmm. I know that's a big question. I'm going to try and boil it down for you. Um, I had a conversation recently about whether game design 
count as art, whether the mechanics of chess are artistic mm-hmm. the same way a, a novel is or the same mm-hmm. way a painting is, um, the mechanics of a board game or a video game. Um, where does art stop and something else begin? I think, wow, okay. Um, (laughs) Thank God I have my coffee. Um, hmm. I think that's also like in the eye of the beholder, as they say, in the way of like, you know, like if you look at modern art, Mm -hmm. there's sometimes you will literally be in like, like, so my mom is um, the head of a museum in Switzerland and there was one exhibition where there was like just these cardboard boxes and I was quite young and I was like, okay, mom, like take out the trash and she was like no 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 this is an artistic piece about I don't even know what it was representing to me I was I didn't see it as that but there were other people who stood there and were staring at it and were like wow this cardboard box you know like the way it's done and I think that applies to anything like if you can see the artistic side in Mm -hmm. it um, I think like yeah maybe not the strategy of a chess game but okay I want (laughs) to I want to I want to get in on that because I'm curious why why not the strategy of a chess game yeah I think, well, I was, like, it depends on, I think it's, there's so much logic involved to that. Mm -hmm. And also, I think just the word strategy sort of doesn't, so let me, there's artisticness out of it. Yeah, let me back up a little bit. What I'm talking about is not necessarily, like, the playing of chess. Okay. Although, I think some people would define the playing of chess as, as an art. Or the playing of a sport as an art. Like, you well, know, see, you hear that dialogue all the time. That depends, like, though. I think, like, that's more an art as in it's like a can. It's, like, very special in what it is. I think there's mm-hmm. a difference between using art in that way as an expression okay. versus yeah. art that you would see from creatives. Right. That's, yeah, that's an interesting distinction. We'll get back to that. Um, when I was referring to chess, I was referring to, like, the rules themselves, the design of the game. And and we mentioned earlier that art is a form of expression. Mm-hmm. Chess is expressing, you know, medieval wartime in a way. Um, True. Yeah. If, if we look at, um, like, the design of a modern board game, Monopoly, what is that expressing? Uh, the greed and monopolistic <laughs> capitalism of, like, the 1920s or whenever. Um, and, and in its design, in the rules, in the way it's written, mm-hmm. is that art. I, not so much the way it's played. Because the creators yeah. are designing these games to be an experience mm-hmm. to the person playing. They're, they're designing it. Yeah, for sure. And so I guess this gets to a broader question of, is design art? You know, are, are the stairs in this bush house, is that art? Because someone took the time and, <laughs> and decided where to curve off the end of each step. I think the process might have been artistic, but I don't think, I mean, I don't know if there's a society that stares at the bush house stairs all day as art and interprets it. So I think, like, it can be artistic, the, the process of creating it. But also when you said, you know, like, with chess, it represents, like, medieval war times. Mm-hmm. I think things like that are more of a representation. And that okay. gets to the question of, is representation art or, like, replication? Is that art? Like, that's another very much discussed question in the field as well like walter benjamin was talking about that like his chemical uh, mechanical reproduction does that count as new art hey folks unfortunately towards the end of that recording we had some uh, technical issues that resulted in the last few questions being cut off Uh, we apologize about the issue but a huge thank you to andrina for coming on the show we will see you next time have a good one